Welcome to episode number 219. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, that is launching this January, the founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, and the Pioneering Today podcast, where we talk about all things homegrown and handmade, using modern homesteading to raise, preserve, and cook your own organic food no matter where you live. Today's episode is a fun one and could maybe be termed somewhat controversial because a lot of times we think of homesteading as a way to save money, a way to live frugally. And many, many, many aspects of homesteading are those things. But we definitely need to have this honest discussion about how homesteading sometimes saves money on some things, but can cost money in other areas so that you get a very true and real life expectation for when you really turn to homesteading, especially if you are in a place where you're not on your acreage yet, or you're not really doing full homesteading with livestock and on your own property so that you know what to expect. Today's guest is a ton of fun, and I have with me Amy Dingman, who is the farm girl in charge at her five-acre central Minnesota homestead where she lives with her husband and two teen sons. Besides being busy in the barn, garden, and kitchen, Amy's an author, blogger, podcaster, and speaker about one of my favorite things, and yours too if you're listening in, all things homesteading. Amy is super fun. I have listened to her podcast and oftentimes very funny sharing about their life on the homestead, which she does through their website, A Farmish Kind of Life, since 2009, as well as the Farmish Kind of Life podcast. And Amy's goal is to inspire people to take on life as a homesteader and help them figure out how to do it in a way that works for them. So you can see she's very closely aligned to me and why I'm so excited to get to chat with her today and with you guys. Well, I am very excited to have you on the podcast today and especially for the topic that we are going to be covering because I feel like it's kind of be like, controversial or maybe even the elephant in the room when it comes to homesteading. So Amy, officially, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I do agree this topic is one of the ones that people just don't want to talk about, but it's definitely the elephant in the room. And I think if you're going to have a good experience as a homesteader, you, you need to at least know what you're getting into with this. Yeah, I totally agree. And Talking about does homesteading save money? And it's one of those answers where it's like you ask your parents something and and you feel like they don't always give you necessarily a clear (laughs) answer, but it's because there's so many things to consider and it's, it's yes and no, but I think it's important to have the right outlook and to be able to kind of evaluate beyond just the upfront monetary cost and or savings because Either way, sometimes that can be a good, it can be a pro or a con. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into this. So let's kind of go at this from both sides of the coin, so to speak. So what are the areas that you really feel like with homesteading 
where you definitely see the monetary savings, where you're definitely saving money. So I think the saving money thing, it really, it really has to do with food. For me, it has to do with food, but I, I think it's all in how you look at it. So in some things, it's almost like you're shifting expenses from one area to another and the money isn't really disappearing. It's not that you know everything is free all of a sudden. It's just that money that you would have spent on it in one way, you're spending on it in a different way. So for instance, if you're spending less on eggs and meat because you know you're raising it on your farm and now you have it right there but now you have a feed bill you know you might not be saving quite as much as you originally thought you're clearly probably saving money but that's the thing that people don't talk about now you have a feed bill so you can't just pretend that it's not there and sometimes people forget how much they're putting into the raising of that pound of bacon or that dozen eggs or all those, you know, those ears of corn, because there's no price tag on it that reminds them, you know, this, this wasn't exactly free. So I think when it comes to food, I do think that your grocery bill can go down if you're raising your own, even if you figure in the cost of feed. But if you're switching from a diet of like generic tomato soup and ramen, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> You aren't necessarily going to feel like you're saving money on food. You might actually see an increase in an increase in cost. And so it it really depends when you decide to become a homesteader and you're going to step into that lifestyle. It depends what you're coming from. And you may find, you know, that one day you realize, hey, I could go to the store and I could buy ramen and I could eat for a lot cheaper than it's costing me to raise these animals. And and obviously I believe that better food fuels your body in a better way and you are more likely to be a healthy productive individual when you're eating really good food so there is that but telling someone who's standing at the grocery store and has $10 to spend and they're trying to figure out how to stretch their money telling them that homesteading is going to save them money on food isn't really telling the whole story so you know here at our house we eat really amazing meat and we raise almost all of our own meat you know we have all these great vegetables and the canned goodness and all the wonderful things but those are things i might not be able to buy if we were in a different situation you know in in other words raising our own allows me to enjoy high end meat that i probably wouldn't be buying if i weren't living on a homestead and raising our own and it's kind of funny. I like to think of myself as living in this high-end grocery store now, you know, because I have all the best stuff available to us. So it, it saves money, but it, it depends how you look at it and what you're coming from. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we're the same as you. We raise um, all of our own meat. And we actually keep a log of how much we're putting into our animals, how much we're spending on feed and then versus how much we get back out, which we didn't always do. And so I think it's really, you need to know what those costs are. Uh, one, just you know, from a financial standpoint, but two, to, and then to know like how much per pound you're, you're getting because those are, those are actual numbers that I actually want to know. And if you aren't tracking or you don't actually know what it is, you don't really know if there's room to improve to bring your costs down even when mm-hmm. you are raising it and you're doing it yourselves. And so I think that you know that that's another really in, important aspect that a lot of people don't always track. And of course, 
you know, if you're an awesome, you know, bookkeeper and you like to do spreadsheets and numbers and stuff, this you're probably like, what do you mean you're not tracking that? But surprisingly, a lot of people don't even do basic budgeting, honestly, for just like their regular grocery bill going to the store. Um, and so I think if you're not doing that with your homestead stuff to definitely start and keep some records and track and do that. And then if you already are, in order to save more money, there is ways that you can adjust those feed bells and bring your costs down. And some of that may be improving your pasture. You know, if you've got a lot of acreage, but some of it's in trees instead of in grass, then you're going to be making a plan, you know, or it's to increase your grass production. So maybe you haven't uh, fertilized and you need to aerate your field. That's something we need to do. We got to keep the brush back. So we finally got a tractor. So, I, you know, there's lots of different things. And then like even, you know, like with chicken foods, because a lot of people have their, their backyard flocks, you know, you can grow excess in the garden and I can grow excess in the garden cheaper than I can buy commercial feed to especially cut back at least in the summer months and in the fall months with that extra produce so that I'm supplementing if they're not, you know, totally free ranging, which mine aren't totally free ranging because we have way too many predators where we live. Um, I lost a whole flock in one weekend doing that before. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's no fun. Yeah. But, um, and I also think too, like when you're comparing the ramen to your homestead food, that even though sometimes in the long run or in the short term, excuse me, not the long run, but the short term, like you said, if you're used to just buying, you know, top ramen, very, what we would consider cheap food, both price-wise and nutritional-wise, and then you're flipping to doing some of these homestead stuff and you've got the investment if you're especially just starting into it of buying the animals and not just the feed, but your whole setup costs that can be involved with them. But I really feel like for myself, because I have had health issues that were directly related to, related to and then healed by the food that I was eating, that there's that energy level that you get and the health benefits that aren't mm -hmm. necessarily, sometimes you can't measure them within the day, but you know, it's, it can be even years down the road. I think we have to evaluate that. I think that's absolutely true. And, and I do agree, you know, when you're eating the better food, there's, there's so much that comes out of that. You don't, you, you, you feel so much healthier. You're so much more productive. That energy that you talked about, absolutely. But I think, you know, it's worth pointing out to people, you know, because I've met people and when I interviewed them for my book, I, you know, they just had this belief that they were going to go from eating, you know, food that is not necessarily the best for you. And they were going to move to the homestead and everything was going to be ta-da. And now we have all this food and it's wonderful. And, and there's costs that come along with that. And so while I think those are, you know, valid costs, and I think it's absolutely worth it. It's, you know, it's having that conversation and pointing it out so people know oh, hey, it's going to cost us a little money to get into this. So they, so they know what's coming. Yeah, no, I agree. And it is true. There are costs associated with it for sure. <laughs> and, we, <we're, laughs> and like I said, every year, actually, we do, I do evaluate on, especially like our meat birds, for example, if I can buy them the same quality. So it has to be, you know, pasture raised, mm -hmm. organic, yep. et cetera, the same quality. So we're comparing our, our correct things to one another. But we do evaluate if I can buy it locally cheaper than doing it myself without having the labor costs involved. And, and it's not ever proved to be true, but there have been some years where it's been really close. Right. Yeah. And we've done that sometimes with vegetables. Sometimes we've just had a really hard year here with growing stuff. I mean, just specifically at our property for whatever reason. And it's just, it's easier for me at some point, you know, when ours is failing, it's, 
it's easier to go down the road to the farm stand and support my neighbors and buy stuff there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love actually having that option where, you know, you do live in an area where you can go out and support other people. And even if you don't live in necessarily like a farming or a real homesteading community, if you, you know, you feel like, I don't really have that around me. Even if you can find, you know, like a a local butcher, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. that is getting their, their meat locally and that type of thing. Oftentimes you can even find really good deals on meat, but you can also talk to them um, our local butcher, which is where we have our cattle processed at, and sometimes our pigs, but sometimes we butcher them ourselves. Just depends on the year again, like mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but there's been times where I've went to them and like I needed more lard than what I had from our pigs or a year that we didn't do pigs. And so I can go to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm super picky. I want lard, but I only want it from organic pasture-raised farmers. Do you, do you have anybody that's going to be processing their pigs with you that doesn't want the lard that you know raises that way? And it's not certified, you know, because it's just a little other small right. farmers yep. that are using yep. it. But they know they're farmers. And so sure. that's how I got extra lard. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I know, you know, so-and-so at such-and-such farm. They use those practices and she doesn't want the lard, so we'll save it for you. And I'm like, oh, awesome. So sometimes it's still using a business but you can really support like, and you know, that other farmer, she had no idea that I was, you know, helping support her that I was buying her yeah. lard. But yeah, so there's, there can be even ways that you can kind of work with that, even if you don't have like the farmer you're going to directly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Amy, when you were interviewing people for your book that it's not about money except when it is, which I really love, especially in regards to homesteading, what are some things that you feel like homesteading does save money on like directly but also the areas that you are going to have especially those upfront costs because I feel like a lot of things you have that big upfront cost to get going in with your homestead but then in the long term it eventually pays for it but you do have that time period before you really get that full I guess return on investment type thing I think you know a lot of I think that's the thing with homesteading is that there's going to be that time period where you're going to be spending money and that time period will repeat itself. You know, as you get into the projects and you start dreaming and you're like, oh, here's what I want to do with this. And here's a great idea. And let's try this. A lot of those projects are going to cost money. That's one of the things that I learned when we moved here. You know, I, I was the person who could see the dream and what it was going to be when it was done and all the great things we could do. And my husband was like, and this is going to cost money. <laughs> So he, that's what he was focusing on. So we kind of balanced each other out a little bit. But it's, you know, getting ready for animals costs money. Bringing animals to your homestead costs money. But in the long run, you know, when you're, you're keeping track of that stuff, and that was a great suggestion, you know, to keep track of it and, and see where you're saving money and see this year we saved money Last year we didn't. And what was the difference? Was it the weather? Did we spend more on the animals that we were bringing to the farm? Did we have issues? You know, were there vet bills that came up? You know, what was the extra cost? And so keeping track of that is going to put you in a good place. But it's that getting ready for the animals. And when we moved here to the farm in 2011, this had been a working farm. And so we found this, you know, it was this lovely house and we had the big red barn and we had the little red barn and we had all these outbuildings. So we moved here having the infrastructure to get going and to be able to jump into chickens and pigs and horses and goats and all the things that we wanted to do. But because it hadn't been farmed for a while, there hadn't been people living here for a while, 
we had a lot of repair we had to do and a lot of modifications we had to do. And although we are DIY people and we try to do things as cheaply as we can and reuse stuff, you know, from other areas on the farm and all of that, there were still costs involved. And so even if you're moving to a place that's already kind of set up, there may be things you need to change. There may be um, repairs you need to make, modifications you need to make. Um, but if you're moving to a place where you're starting from scratch, then you've got you know tons of money that you're probably going to have to put into, depending on how big your dream is and what your plans are and what you want to do. You know, there's there's fixing the buildings, putting up the buildings. There's dealing with fencing. You know, depending if you're going to have those kind of animals and putting up covered runs. You know, depending on you know what kind of predators you have. If you have chickens, we used to free range here, and we like you had mentioned, we have a lot of predators here, and you don't often know what predators you have till you get those chickens and you let them out. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, look at all those predators. We didn't even know we're here. Yeah. yeah, So then, okay, now we need to keep our chickens safe. What are we going to do? That costs money. So, and then after you get the animals, obviously you have the feed bill and you have the vet bill and it's a really big vet bill. If you have to call that vet to your house, you know, you have the electric bill for, you know, if you have electric in your barns, And I've always said that having a barn is kind of like having a second house full of toddlers who are always hungry. (laughs) That's kind of what I think of my barns as. So obviously that costs money. And then when you're thinking about um, putting in the garden beds, you know, are you going to have to haul in dirt? Are you going to have to haul in soil? Are you going to have to amend that soil? And how are you going to do that? And is that going to cost money? And seeds are going to cost money. And if you've never bought seeds before... (laughs) It can be really shocking how fast that all adds up. You have this vision of this great, wonderful, beautiful garden you're going to have, and then you sit down and do the math of, wow, that's what the seeds and the plants are going to cost. Um, But in the end, that's going to save you money. Maybe not every year. And maybe that's um, the other important thing, you know, to point out every year on the farm is different. And so you may have a streak of really great years, and then you have one year where you're like, wow, that, that actually ended up costing us money. But the other thing that sometimes I always find this is funny that more animals on your farm cost more money. And so when you see people who first get into animals, they're like, oh, I'm going to get chickens and then I'm going to get more chickens and more chickens and I'm going to get goats and then I get more goats and more goats. And that's wonderful because more chickens means more eggs or means more meat whatever you're raising them for. And more goats means more kids. Maybe if you're selling the kids or it means more milk or whatever it is that you're getting into it for, but it also costs more money to keep those. And sometimes people don't think all the way through that. They see those cute little baby chicks and they're like, what's 50 more chicks? But those chicks grow up and they eat a lot of food. So it's all stuff that, you know, it's kind of a process. It costs money in the beginning and hopefully it's going to save you money at the end. And generally it does. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, with the animals, what I found interesting, especially from like with a herd and when I look at, which we raise grass-fed beef, um, pork, so pigs, uh, meat chickens, and then I have my laying hens that are for the eggs of those two separate flocks. And I have to say for us, and because of the climate that we live in and the acreage that we have for our herd... I am feeding grass-fed hay in the about half of the year. So we usually start feeding about October and then we usually end up having to feed all the way through April, usually in about May, the grass and, and the temperatures that we're not. So we're feeding, you know, pretty much for half the year. But once you've got 
And I, I have to say the cattle require the least amount of infrastructure for us. Mm. So we don't have to do electric fence. We have barbed wire fencing that is up. We don't have a barn. So we, they don't need a barn. We've got a couple of evergreen more than a couple of evergreen trees. We've got evergreen trees and natural windbreaks so they can go in under the, the thick evergreen trees when it's raining really hard during snowstorms. And then we've got some different areas that they can go and get shelter from you know, extreme wind and, and just extreme elements like that. But we don't actually have the barn and we don't have electricity other than to run our pump, but it's for our house too, because our herd is a, a fairly small. We're about six, six to eight head on mm-hmm. average. Um, and I found that once that fencing is up, that is that, you know, initial cost. And occasionally we'll have to, you know, replace some sections and grab a couple more fence posts, et cetera. But for the most part, once that's up, it's just as easy for us to raise two to three cows as it is to raise one. In fact, it's better because they're, they're a herd animal and sure. yeah. do better. Um, but even that, you know, like with, with the, the feed and everything, I've, we find it easier to raise the cattle than we do like the chickens. And for the, that return on investment, we get a lot bigger ROI on a cow than we do having a, you know, for, like for the eggs, for example. And part of that's, that's cost and, and not have, you know, with the chickens required, they just require a lot more maintenance and, and a lot more work and, and actually food year round, even when I'm moving them around the pasture for food. Um, and that type of thing, when the grass is growing, I still have to supplement more for them than I do with the cattle. So I think what I was going to share with that and the, the whole point of that is sometimes you have to look at the animal and yes, a cow costs more than a chicken, that upfront investment, but mm-hmm. overall, I'm going to make a lot more back on that cow You know, if I want to sell it um, or just for the amount of meat that we're going to be getting um, from that animal. So sometimes there's that part of the evaluation too um, with your costs. Yeah, I agree with that. We, um, and it's funny because when you move to the homestead, you have this plan of what you're going to have and, and you may find out, oh, guess what? That's not really what's going to work here. We, um, one of the first animals we had when we moved here was goats because that was what I wanted. I wanted to move to the farm and get goats. And within three years, we had figured out that just was not cost effective for us because we can't really make our own hay here. We don't have, we only have five acres. And so where we'd be able to make the hay, it, it just isn't enough to support a lot of animals that would eat that. And so, you know, we had to change our plans and, and now we do pigs and I love pigs because it's more cost effective for us. So it's, it, it really depends on what your homestead is, where you are, what you have available to you. Yeah. I, and it's very, each homestead is going to be different. And I think it's so important for people to know that because a lot has to do with your climate. And like we, are, we purchase hay. Uh, we don't, we don't hay our fields. I don't have enough for pasture and for hay as well. Um, so just to, just to throw that out there. But I think so oftentimes, like you said, we get this idea in our mind of what the perfect homestead is going to be and what it all encompasses. And we just hold on to that so tightly, mm-hmm. even when it's not necessarily in our best interest. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so I think being very honest with yourself and the numbers, like looking at them and knowing that it's okay if you've you know given it a couple of years and it's like you did with the goats, I think it's really important to give yourself permission to be like, okay, this isn't working. So let's, you know, it's okay to say we're not going to have goats and to look at something else. 
Absolutely. And that's a really good thing to point out because especially if you're active in any homestead forums or like Facebook groups, you know, if you say, oh, goats didn't work for me or pigs didn't work for me, there's all those people just waiting to tell you how much they love their goats and how much they love their pigs. And and that's okay. That's wonderful. Everybody has different stuff, but it's absolutely okay to try an animal and decide, you know what, this wasn't, this didn't work out exactly like I thought it would. And I'm, I'm switching to something else. Yeah. And because, and even in gardening, I mean, believe it or not, like with livestock, but even with gardening, there's some people on the fence that say, oh, you absolutely, you know, have to do it this way, or this is, you know, the, the right thing to do. And I mean, there are best practices with anything, with animal husbandry and with your gardens and stuff, but it has to be what works for you and what works for you might not work for me and vice versa. And I think it's always great for us to glean ideas and helpful trips from one another, but sometimes it just comes down to the actual doing and being like, okay, this isn't working. So I'm going to try something else and see if that works better for me in my situation. And sometimes what works for you right now in five years, it might not, or even vice versa. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember too, that there's that timeline in your seasons mm-hmm. um, and to be okay with, with flipping those as well. Exactly. And it has to do, you know, with what's going on with your family. If you have little kids, if you have big kids, you know, it, there's so much stuff that's changing on your homestead that doesn't necessarily have to do with homesteading or the animals or your garden or anything like that. So yeah, absolutely. The great thing about homesteading is, you know, it's, it's fluid. You can change every year is different and, and be willing to experiment. Yeah, I completely agree. So when you guys moved to your farm, what was your biggest surprise expense that you weren't expecting? The first year that we were here, we actually moved here in the winter of 2011. And so we're getting ready for that first spring. And we're so excited because we're finally at our farm and we're going to have all the chicks and all the babies and all the things. And, and so, you know, we had several flocks of chicks under heat lamps in that very cold spring. And, you know, we had all this stuff going on. We had a heated room that we had to have in our barn to keep the water lines from freezing. And, and so we're, we're kind of running all these things. And that first electric bill we got after we had started running all these things, I was like, oh my goodness, why is our electric bill so much? This, there has to be something wrong. And so I called the electric company and I said, there has to be something wrong. It, our electric bill shot up so much. And the gal who answered the phone said, you live on a farm, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, are you running any heat lamps right now or any electric milk house heaters or any tank heaters or any heat tape or anything like that? And, you know, I'm just ticking off the things that she's saying because she's hitting everything, you know. And she said, if you're running something that creates heat, it's going to cost more money. (laughs) And I had never put two and two together. Like every heat lamp that you are running is making your electric bill go up. That tank heater that you have, you know, in that stock tank, so your horses have open water, that's costing money. And so that was kind of a surprise for me. So now we know, you know, when we start running these things in whatever season that, you know, our electric bill is going to go up. The other thing is that projects cost money. And this seems like so obvious, but when you get so fired up about the dream of homesteading and you've been, it took us four years to get to our farm. So we had like all this time of, okay, here's what we're going to do when we get to our farm and it's going to be so amazing. And so we finally get here and I am just ready to go with all the projects and projects 
cost money. And very often when you have to slow down on projects, it's not because you don't have time. It's not because you can't do the work. It's because you don't have the money to put into whatever it is, you know, that you're, you're wanting to do. We built um, a little seed starting thing, a little seed starting operation. And I'm thinking, yay, I'm going to be able to start my own seeds. I'm not thinking, look at the bill from Amazon for all the stuff that we had to order, you know, to build this thing. And um, we built a fodder system. And I was thinking, this is going to be so great. We're going to have all this green, wonderful stuff for our animals when the ground is covered with snow. And again, I'm not thinking what it's going to cost, you know, to get us there. And the bummer thing is that sometimes you spend this money on these projects because they're eventually going to make things easier and more simple and save you money. And sometimes those projects don't work out. Like our, our seed starting expedition that we were going to go on, it failed the first year and we still ended up buying 50 tomato plants, you know, to put in the garden. So it actually cost us more money that year, but those things happen and those things are okay to talk about. And we've had lots of great projects that have turned out and it's been great, but we've also had some not so cheap projects that did not save us as much money in the end as we hoped they would. And some of them cost more than they ever would have saved us. But you know, that's, that's part of the thing. And I think if you go into homesteading understanding that those things happen, you're going to have a totally different outlook on you know, the future of your homesteading. Our next project here is actually to build a smokehouse. We raise most of our meat. The only thing that we don't raise is beef and we generally don't eat it. Um, but we have a friend who raised for us this year and we did a little swap with pork and chicken and beef and all of that. And, and so we do a lot of smoking of our meat. And, and our little smoker that we have has it really, we need to have something bigger now. And so I'm like, we need to build a smokehouse and we're very excited about this. And in my mind, I can see the finished project. And my husband is like, okay, what are we spending on the materials? And I'm, <laughs> I always skip that step. And, you know, while we're, we always do it as cheaply as we can, and we already know there's a bunch of materials that are here on the farm that we will be able to reuse to build that smokehouse. It obviously isn't going to be free. So I guess that's kind of what I learned. That was the surprise when I moved to the farm is just it's, it's going to be more money, especially in the beginning as you start the projects and get things going. Um, and I, I just think that's something that people don't talk enough about. Yeah, I think so too. Now, you've got me curious because you told us on some of the failures and I love it. I'm the, I don't know if this is typical like you know female male behavior <laughs> or if it just happens to be your marriage and my marriage as well but i'm the visionary and the dreamer and my husband is the practical and i help him i'm not it's not like oh honey i want this done and then right you know, i come back you know a week later and there it is i mean like i'm out digging fence posts and lifting him with them and lifting rafters up when we're building like all this stuff yeah uh, but it the very much the same way i'm this visionary dreamer of what i want it to be and he's like okay but this is what has to happen to get it there and what this is going to cost and what this entails so it is good to have i think it could be real dangerous if you had two visionaries or oh, the opposite sure. yeah. right yeah. yeah it's a nice so. balance it's good that we have each other to be like i want to do all these things and he's like that's wonderful but here's down on ground level what we need to do in order to make those things happen so yeah. So what is some of the projects that you said have been successes and have definitely, um, and you could just pick like one of your favorites or, or one of the top ones that comes to mind, but that did save you money. I mean, I would say we're very, um, you know, when we did 
when our um, flock of chickens was pretty much decimated one summer, when we moved here, we had free range chickens for a few years and it was fine. And then all of a sudden the predators, I don't know if someone put a neon sign out on our silo or something that said free meal, but all of a sudden we had, you know, all these predators in the yard. And so we had to figure out how, what are we going to do about this? And so, you know, it's finding different ways to fence things in and cover things and make things um, safe. Another thing, my husband really wanted to raise pheasants. And I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is actually one of the things where we switch because he was like, I want to raise pheasants. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite <laughs> sure about that. But he was like, he was the dreamer. And I was, you know, okay, we need to figure out what we're doing here. But, you know, it's, it's finding dog kennel panels that we can put up to create a place for them to be, a really, really large place for them to be, and then figuring out how we're going to cover it. And, and it was great. I mean, we had pheasants here for like three years. It was wonderful. We raised pheasants. We released pheasants. And it was really, really awesome. And, and we had pheasant for our freezer. And so that, that was something that saved us money. We would not have had that many pheasants in our freezer if we weren't raising them ourselves. And, and that brainstorming and trying to figure out how to do this you know, less expensively was really how the project came to work. Because if it would have been too much money, we, you know, we would have abandoned it. There's a lot of... And, we're really DIY people, you know, building our own hay feeders and building our own. I mean, we just build so much stuff around here. We've built a ton of, um, my husband built a chicken plucker, kind of like a drum chicken plucker. He's very mechanical. And so he will go and watch a ton of YouTube videos and read blog posts and look at instructions. And he just kind of comes up with how to make it work in his head, which is awesome. If you're on a homestead and you have someone who's very mechanical and very you know, can figure out how to make these things. That is so awesome. That will save you a ton of money for sure, because you can look at it and go, how can we build this? And so that's awesome. And we, um, I'm trying to think like our entire chicken butchering setup, because we butcher on site here, that's all stuff that we built. And so that, that was awesome. And it's, it's great because people will often email me and say, how did you build this? How'd you put that together? But it's, it's really hard because it's all up in my husband's head, you know? <laughs> and so it's hard to explain to people how we made the things that we made. But yeah, there have been lots of projects that have been very beneficial and have turned out and have definitely saved us money. Okay, good. I, I feel like I'm like, we got to have some of those, th those things that did work in, in the positive there. I know we're being super honest and wanting to have people have clear expectations, but I'm like, we got to have some of the good stuff in there. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And which brings me to the next point, because you mentioned this a couple of times, especially with the, the pheasants um, and on being able to raise them, raise them and have them and have it pay off because you were looking for cheap and less expensive ways to get your infrastructure up for them. But is less expensive always the best option? <laughs> <laughs> less expensive is really, really great when it works out, but it's, it's not always an option to begin with. And I think some of that is, you know, I mean, it's cliche, but time is money, you know, and you don't always have the time. So sometimes you have to spend the money. You know, if you're dealing with trying to get something fixed on your farm, and you only have so much time, you may end up having to buy that part or buy that thing to make the thing work just for the sake of time rather than waiting three days to find it cheaper. Um, you know, do-it-yourself is often less expensive, but do-it-yourself is not always an option. So it's really great, you know, like when we were building this stuff for our pheasants and, you know, we have dog panels and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll put those up and we'll create this, this really huge run for them to be in and if we would have had to go and search for 
dog panels or something cheaper and then go drive in, buy, drive in, pick it up from somebody who, you know, had it at their house and didn't need it. Sometimes you don't have that time. And, and I think so many choices and decisions to be made in homesteading, some of them aren't easy and some of them are so much more expensive than we thought they would be. But the great thing is that it's very often balanced out with really great you know, oh gosh, we could use this to make this and it'll work and it's awesome and you get really excited because you made it, you know, twice as cheap as you thought you'd be able to. So it's it's an adventure to say the least. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like there's some things we have been able to do extremely cheaply, but when it comes to quality, mm-hmm, <laughs> and right. I feel like this is especially true with like mechanical things. Yes. So like, for example, like, you know, I know this sounds funny. We're talking about homesteading and lawnmowers. I mean, like my, my cattle can mow my lawn, but honestly, I'm not having the cows <laughs> right in my backyard. They're in the pasture. And so my husband and I used to battle with this, especially in, in our earlier years of marriage. And one is because we, you know, we were just starting out and we didn't have a lot of things and we needed everything. Right. And right. Two, we didn't have, um, you know, we, we had less money just honestly coming in at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I was always like, we're just going to buy the cheapest we can find, like the the cheapest it comes, like that's what we're getting. And sometimes you have to do that. If you only have $10, you know, and there's a $10 and $20, then you have to buy the $10. But there were definitely instances where I could have spent, you know, another $50 and got the better quality item, but I didn't want to. And then the cheap item, you know, breaks after one season. So, and it's not fixable. So then, or the parts to fix it are worth more than what we even paid for it. Yeah. And so I I think there is a balance and with some things you can, but I definitely have learned that it's a lot better when you can to invest in that higher quality, especially on equipment um, than versus necessarily the absolute cheapest. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And the funny thing, you know, like talking about tools or equipment or or things like that, it's almost, you know, they don't make things like they used to. I mean, everybody knows that. And so things aren't going to last as long as they would have, especially if you don't buy the more expensive one. So yeah, when you, when you do have the money, definitely buy the more expensive thing because it's going to last you longer 99 times out of a hundred. But the funny thing is, is I, I like to buy stuff from old farm auctions, you know, like some of my favorite shovels. They don't make shovels like that anymore. If you go to an old farm auction and you find, you know, the farmer has passed away and now he's getting rid of all of his tools, like that is the best thing ever because you know those tools have been through everything and they are going to continue to go through everything. And yeah, the old tools, that's where it's at. You know, I, I honestly think, well, here in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm a logger's daughter and my husband's a sawyer. And so like when we start talking wood, but like old growth, especially out here in the Pacific Northwest and cedar, for example, is going to last a lot longer. And it's obviously a lot harder to get old growth because it ain't growing anymore. I mean, you know, like once it's cut, it's cut. But I really think talking about exactly, I have a point with this, I promise. But when we're going to those older tools, I think it has something to do with the wood. I mean, they were better crafted. Like we'll be, I'll be real, but even like taking, you know, wood now and then wood on a tool that maybe, you know, provided it's not been, you know, left out and it's not rotten and everything like that. But I feel like it even comes down sometimes to, it, they, we had better quality or more durable wood um, 
back then or the way that they manufactured it. I'm not, I don't know, but I'm, I'm with you. That makes so much sense. I never thought of that before, but that may, yeah, that makes absolutely so much sense. The wood that we have in our barn, like the structure of the wood in our barn, because we have taken down parts of buildings here and the wood that was in there is so amazing. Like you can't hardly get a nail in that wood. It's so tough. And so like they don't, there's no wood like that anymore. <laughs> no, there's not. And it's really, I know it sounds so funny, but I mean, and of course there's, you know, there's hardwood versus softwood. Like you would never use hemlock for heaven's sakes to build anything. But, um, <laughs> you know, like there, there is that type of stuff, but there really is a, a difference in the wood. And I, I'm with you. In fact, even with like machinery, we went to um, going to a farm auction. Let me tell you guys, y'all listening in, if you've never been to a farm auction, even if you're like, well, I'm not really a farmer yet. Oh my goodness. It is so much fun. Like it really is. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. And you'll find surprising. Like we went to a farm equipment auction and exactly like you said, there must've been an old farmhouse with equipment they were cleaning out. You guys, I got the most amazing lot of old Mason jars. I'm talking like the big, like half gallon blue glass. I even got a green glass Mason jar. Sorry. So I'm like, wow. I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. But we went there because we had been saving up and we couldn't afford a new tractor, but we were definitely at a point that we're like, okay, we have operated with a four-wheeler and we have used <laughs> like a tractor for over yep. a decade, which yep. actually, if you get a bigger four-wheeler, you will be surprised at what you can do with them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We really did. But it was like, we really needed a tractor because we're doing, our herd expanded. And so instead of doing the square bales, this is a, a, a tip. It's much more economical for us to buy the big round um, haylage bales that look like the marshmallows that are wrapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, it's way cheaper feed wise and you don't need a barn. So we can store more feed for more of our animals without having a barn. Cause we're just not at that point where we can afford to build a barn yet. Um, but we needed a tractor in order to move them. And so you can push them with a four wheeler if you get them on their side, but it takes a very long time to move them <laughs> throughout the pasture. Just telling you. So yeah. we had saved up and that was, and we were really very specific, even though we were getting it at an auction. And that was a thing too, where we did get our tractor and we knew going into it, which is always a gamble, it did pay off for us, that we were going to have the, uh, the cost to buying used, that there would likely be things that needed to be repaired and fixed on it. Um, but it was a way that we could afford it now. And so we were really particular at looking at the different, um, you know, the different brands and, and just different things that we needed to have on it. Um, you know, so anyways, my point with that is just, you got me very excited talking about auctions. <laughs> they are my favorite place to shop. I absolutely love them. Yeah, same here. And I have to say that with mechanics of like with a tractor, like we knew that we were taking a gamble buying it used. Like there's no warrant guarantee or sure. warranty. So I think if you do go to an auction for something like that, that's an actual, you know, running piece of equipment, not just like a shovel or something um, to, if you can have someone, unless you're a mechanic, but if right. you've got somebody, which we did, we took my dad who is a mechanic and then we actually have another friend who's a farmer and, and does mechanic work and they were both there and we're like, can you, you know, and so they helped us walk through and uh, evaluate it so that we had a, a good estimate on what needed to be replaced and we could have run into surprises. Thankfully, we've had it a year and we haven't. Um, but sometimes even if you have to, you know, pay a mechanic maybe to go and look at something like that in a used instance, even though it is money up front, if you have to pay them to kind of do like an inspection, I feel like it's, it's very much worth it in that type of instance. 
Yeah, because you don't want to get into something that you're going to get in over your head with repairs and yeah. So it's it's definitely good to go into it knowing what you're getting into. Yeah. So I have so enjoyed getting to chat with you. So where can find people find out more about your thoughts on frugal living that actually is frugal and helps you save money? <laughs> um, I would love it if folks would check out my book. Um, it's called It's Not About Money Except When It Is. And it doesn't completely focus on homesteading. Um, if you're not a homesteader or you're not a homesteader yet, um, many things in the book are going to apply to you. I relate a lot of things to homesteading because that's the life that I live, but definitely anybody can read it. It it gives some practical tips about saving money, but I didn't want to do just a rehashing of, you know, a million tips you can probably find on the internet. It really focuses more on having a really honest and deep conversation about your relationship with money that I don't think is discussed a lot of other places. Um, it, it'll get you thinking about some really good stuff. And it's, I would say it's equal parts honesty and humor. So. Oh, good. We all need humor in our life. Like, for amen. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Amy. I had so much fun. And guys, obviously you're listening to this on a podcast. And if you're like me, you're a podcast junkie. I listen to a ton of podcasts. And Amy's podcast is called A Farmish Kind of Life. So you definitely are going to want to look that one up. And we'll have links to everything um, in the show notes in the blog post that goes with today's episode. Uh, but if you're on your app right now, you might want to check out her podcast as well. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And check out Amy's podcast as well. Now we're going to move on to what many of you tell me is your favorite part of the podcast. And that is our verse of the week. We are in Psalms 100, and this is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. We're going to start in verse 3. Know, perceive, recognize, and understand with approval that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and a thank offering and into his courts with praise. Be thankful and say so to him. Bless and affectionately praise his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy and loving kindness are everlasting. His faithfulness and truth endure to all generations. And I wanted to share this because sometimes we get into a place, especially, I mean, the holidays, their intent, especially with Thanksgiving and even Christmas, is a time to spend with family, reconnect with one another. If you're a Christian, which obviously I am, and if you're still listening to this part, likelihood is you are too is to celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior and King. Now, I know that December 25th, that is when we celebrate Christmas. And we don't know that, in fact, if you look at a lot of historical evidence, that that wasn't necessarily when Jesus was born, but it's when we celebrate it and we remember the beautiful gift that he gave us. But sometimes in the midst of all of this remembrance and trying to create this special time, things can get a little bit crazy. Things can get a little bit hectic. We can become overwhelmed. 
sometimes relationships are strained and the holidays put even more so on those relationships. And if you have suffered any loss and some of your loved ones are no longer here, it can put a very different spin on the holidays. But especially during the holidays, but really all year long, because the holidays are such a short span when we look at a year in its entirety, God is telling us to spend our time in thanksgiving and in thanks offering. To be thankful and not just to say we're thankful, but to actually confess it with our mouth, with our actions, and that no matter what happens in this world, that his faithfulness and his truths, which are in the Bible, they have been the same since he uttered them, since we have had the word since the beginning of time, and will continue long after we're gone in this era, that he is faithful. And his truths will continue to endure no matter what for us and to future generations. Sometimes we can see headlines being shared or on the radio, social media coming across the news. And we know that the media really likes to put a spin on things that that are going to be like shock and that really get your attention. And oftentimes, unfortunately, those aren't always the best and the good things. And so it can get easy too to get caught up in that. But we just need to remember that God's word, his foundations and his truth will stand no matter what and to ground ourselves in those and to not let the overwhelm or any of those things that can tend to creep in this time of year to take over. But to remember, and we have the beautiful remembrance of Thanksgiving, but to take that with us all the time to let out of our mouths what we speak to be that of praise and thankfulness. Because if you do that, it will begin to infiltrate your, when your words and you speak that, it does, it changes your thoughts, it changes your perspective so that you're not just saying empty words, but it really is what you're feeling from your heart and what you're saying and what you're living. And I think that is one of the best gifts that we can all have is to live in a place of thankfulness and praise. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will be back here with you next week with our regular episodes, which come out on Wednesday and Friday. I wish you a time of thankfulness and praise. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon.